Hey, welcome to Dip and Jail, baby. A casual conversation with professional artists. I'm your host, Sid Williams. Today we're walking to my studio, Studio B14, Manic Contemporary's basement. I'm hosting Rashad Wright, Luke Ivy Price, and Lauren Bergman just to chat and see what's up in the art world. Did you um, see that hypoallergic cartoon saying that painters just lock themselves into rooms and die in solvents? Yes. Yeah, and I was like, not wrong. Yeah. Right. I was no. like, this is that my lifestyle. And I thought of the years yeah. that I, I worked in pastel where I would like have colored chunks yeah. in uh -huh. my nose. You and snot green. The most yeah. toxic pastels. Pastels. Really? The most is it because it attaches? You're breathing. Pigments are yeah. heavy metals, right. so yeah. you're just breathing heavy metal. That's bad. Checks bro. out. Yeah, especially if you're getting any good reds with like real yeah, cadmium. Yeah, and cadmiums and, and oh, cobalt. Yeah. 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 I will get you. Are we rolling? Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that note. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. True. Yeah. Probably mute or silence. Yeah, phones. mute or oh, silence yeah. phones. Yeah. And now I'm solvent free. 2020 solvent free? No, I've been. You've for, been? Yeah. Oh, good for you. Wow. How are you? How is that working out? I use water soluble oils. Oh, oh. great. And your pigments look great. Yeah. So, Daniel Smith has yeah. an exceptionally amazing line of water soluble oils. Interesting. So people keep on trying to convert me to oil painting and the solvents is part of the Yeah, part I of could the not. Like, I would be dead if I continued using yeah. solvent. Even like I'll use like a a wax medium that has some yeah. uh I think it's got some turf in it and I'll be like wheezing yeah, for you'll a feel week it. after using oh, it. Fuck that. That's, that's strong that. stuff though. Yeah. It looks it looks weird. So the whole idea of this group conversation is to get artists talking in person. Um, is to see what is happening in the contemporary art dialogue and what artists have to say about it and what they feel about it and how are we progressing as a society that more artists than ever are arise and self-declared, but we don't talk to each other anymore. So we are here to bring the conversation back to the in-person dialogue, you cheeky Rashad. <laughs> <laughs> See, that kind of cheekiness is the reason why we avoid conversation. <laughs> it is almost 2020. We almost will not be able to have any controversial discussion moving forward. So be cheeky while you can, while it's 2019, baby. That was deep. <laughs> so do you think that there is still a shared vocabulary that artists are working out of, in, whether it's across mediums or, I mean, Lauren, you're a painter, Luke, you're a painter, Rashad. Not so much. Nah, writer, poet, <laughs> something like that. So do you think that we're talking to each other within the same medium or many mediums or not at all? Oh, that's a good question. I touch down in different, it's almost like there are art cliques mm -hmm. that I'll touch down into but don't necessarily fit into, like there's, um, you know, portraitists who are atelier trained and, and their view of art has very distinct parameters and they are a community, I think, to a larger degree. Would so, you classify yourself within that community? No, 
<laughs> no, I'm well, good. definitely <laughs> an outsider to that, but my work does touch on portraiture in kind of a surrealistic way. Personally, as a uh, writer slash poet guy, um, I think if I wasn't here at Man, I wouldn't be exposed to the work of painters, of uh, sculptors, or anything like that. I feel like the writing world specifically is so secluded from the rest of the art world and our work almost never dances with each other, never, it's never even the same room or conversation for that matter. So unless it's, unless it's like uh, notably intentional, you know, mm -hmm. you have to make the intention to uh, work with someone that does canvas work or sculpting. Otherwise, it doesn't happen. But that's just my uh, reality thus far. Within the, the poetry com community, I used to be pretty involved with spoken word events mm -hmm. and things like that, going to slams, and, and that was really part of, you know, I guess, gosh, it's almost the late 90s, early 2000s, that was what you did. You went out and saw people I never had the nerve to get up and read anything I had written, but people who were performing and doing it, was, it was vibrant. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing, rich, active community. And I don't know if that's still going on. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, legally, there's like a lot of crazy things that happen in the poetry community as of the last three or four years, so like, Competition on a national scale has uh, taken a step back, but that was a thing, is a thing. But um, the idea of crossing mediums, uh, I'm not sure if that ever did happen in the past or if that's even happening now. Well, po uh, poets and painters traditionally always were entwined. It was one complemented the other throughout history, always. Um, and I think that it, that has been a mutually beneficial relationship for a long time. And maybe it just naturally gravitates towards being able to express yourself one way and the other and having this complete picture that allows it to have a little bit more weight and gravity than just an image or just words, but together it's a lot more powerful. And I think they're very intriguing relationships as in the past, poets and painters have coexisted pretty heavily. Like there's certain, it, I mean, my, my window on the art world since, you know, the, the most recent art history books or what have you that I've mm -hmm. seen is like very new. And I, so I don't know how new they are, but there seems to be uh, relatively recent like mechanics within the art world, like certain mechanisms that have sort of, uh, it would seem make that more difficult. And one of them that I've seen constantly through interacting with painters, and then even, you know, me and you, Rashad, talking about trying to like build some kind of situation mm -hmm. with poets and, and painters is a lot of painters seem to have been forced into pretending to be poets situationally. Huh. The, the construct of uh, someone I know from upstairs uh, wrote their thesis paper on the relatively recent, and I didn't realize until they told me, phenomenon of 
artist written artist statements? Because I mean, you might read a manifesto like yeah. the you know Malevich in there, like you know manifesto or the futurist uh, manifesto, mm -hmm. but they didn't write individual artist statements. They definitely weren't expected to write a statement for their show. Picasso gets quoted a lot. Those quotes are not from, you know, no, a, a statement course. that hmm. his gallery Elaine said. Elaine de Kooning did a lot of the artist statements for the abstract expressionist movement. Huh. Right. They didn't call up Picasso and go, hello, genius. Can you <laughs> also write very well on top of sculpting or doing whatever crazy stuff you're doing, pottery or whatever he was doing that week, and also write eloquently about your own work in a way that other people can digest. So it's, it's been a more recent thing, and they know a lot more about the mechanics of how exactly that came to exist, but I don't think it's a positive development. No, as painters, as these well-oiled machines and, of being polished to right. um, enter the world immediately. I think there's a lot less marinating time. Fully developed, yeah. like, like a god spat on a rock, and you were born in some like you know, Greek myth sort of way, fully formed. But Klein said uh, in a talk I remember listening to that was posted online at some university, uh, Klein said, there is no art world, but there are lots of little artist communities. Mm -hmm. You know, they group together and bump together. Do you think that the communities now, since there is so much competitive air with the amount of MFA students or the amount of self-proclaimed artists, do you think that it's more competitive and less incubator now because there's just an oversaturation of artists? Or do you think that the more artists, the more communities, the more people are talking? I think that's a part of where the conflict or competition comes from is from uh these cliques or classifications. Like you just said, um, uh, we have the MFA uh, artists and the self-proclaimed artists. Uh, the more different communities we have, the more people of different backgrounds, the more likely it is to clash based on class differences, race differences, gender, A, B, C, and D, you know? Um, so the more cliques, uh, the more conflict we have. I don't think conflict is a bad thing. Um, conflict is necessary and is like a voice for uh, most communities and uh, you can't be heard without conflict so I don't think it's a bad thing but I think conflict is going to be a perpetual thing in the art community. And I think for a long time they kept, I don't know who they is, but mm -hmm. the powers that be were trying to create a cohesiveness like um, I don't know when it started when Hunter College MFA students were pretty much immediately picked up by galleries. Mm -hmm. right. And it was like they, regardless, okay, these are the new it brand. And I think with social media, it's even more scattershot. Like there is no, and also with the economics of very few galleries surviving, economically it's just kind of reduced to people self-promoting. You say reduced? Well, there's not really incubators. There's not really um, mentor relationships. Right, okay. It's more that, you know, you jump out there and if you can, 
if you have great marketing savvy and great connections, um, you know. Well, you the, mentioned, you, you mentioned uh, having mentors. That something came up with me the other day. I hadn't really thought about it very much until going and seeing the um, Aquavella still, I think still has for the last week, probably the last show of um, Wayne Tabo uh, up. He's 99, probably gonna be dead soon, wow. uh, unfortunately. But And is he, what's his health? I, I don't know, but I mean, it's a long time oil painting. But I've ran into uh, at least five you know, you want to call them mid-career or whatever, practicing and teaching artists in New York. And, you know, he's to both West Coast or whatever, so I imagine even more out there, who said, I was mentored by Wayne Tabum. I learned under him. He taught me so much, this and that. He took a personal interest in my career, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, it would be silly to think I've met all five people. Uh, and then I started thinking after seeing the show and then remembering those people, uh, a couple of them professors at Pratt, I want to say, but I can't remember. Um, and I started thinking like, I've interacted with any number of artists in New York of a similar caliber or uh, in similar positions as Tabo, or you know, having those facilities and resources and not once has the interaction been like what they described with him? And I wonder how much of that is just because he's nearly a century old and he's yeah. coming from the dying part of that system where, you know, it was more smiled upon to like help the development. Yeah, I think mentorship is crucial. I am mentored by Dorothea Rockburn and I don't know if I would be an artist uh, without her guidance, uh, you know how that sounds, or at least a practicing artist. Without mentorship, I don't know how you inherit people's successes. You're the only uh, person that I've met other than those individuals who are all over 50 with, that mentioned Thibaut. You're the only other person I've met in New York in the art world who mentioned having a mentor and having that type of relationship. Mm. It's like sort of, I hadn't thought about it very much until recently and having a conversation with a friend and he echoed, you know, the same thing. It's not just from, that's why it sort of validated in my mind and made me think of it more is, uh, it's very odd. It's very odd within any other industry. Yes. You know, like architects don't operate like that. Right. Like, you know, mathematicians, you know, will even the most obscure will find someone within some department somewhere. I think a lot, of times when you're little or however old you are and you go into a museum and your mind is blown for the first time and maybe that's the first time you realize wow people have dedicated their life to just being in sync with space and time so much so that they define space and time right. and I think that in an age that there's so much happening and it's almost for the first time I don't know if this is a personal feeling or if this is a cultural phenomenon. The amount of resources that we have, we almost have this ability to time travel, whether it's taking a plane and flying to Cuba and being in a place that still has cars from the 1950s, or if it's going to different, the access to travel and the access to technology 
and the access to people that have lived longer and can communicate still has made it so right now we are almost in a timeless warp that our time is not only present, but it's so riddled with everything. It seems very oversaturated. That, and I think, you know, when- And people uh, have limited bandwidth. Yes, and you can't, you can't be everything all the time. And you certainly can't just be this polished phenomenon of perfectly dictated space and time, period. Right. It's just not possible. There's some blue chip galleries uh, picking up grad students out of Yale that beg to differ. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. They're finding perfectly <laughs> polished stones rolling around, around the uh, riverbed there, you know, and, fully formed. And I think the Yale MFA program has quite a few classes in business and marketing. Mm as part of your MFA, they, so. They must. Yeah. That's but, interesting. But, it's like now the art world has become about how to survive in your lifetime, not how to survive to make, or how to survive to think about what is art. Was it, that circles around back to a, I was making a note on it because it sounded like you were headed that direction, and it's funny because you sort of ended up exactly on it. <laughs> uh, my, it's always painters, but my painter friends uh, we end up, after a long enough conversation about art, always end up landing on something to the extent of uh, how do you have like radical pluralism that's happening right now, where there's many healthy individual things going on. It's not just you know one titan. It's not like abstract expressionism. It's not like nothing else was going on at mm -hmm. that time. They yeah, were just, surrealists were, they were happening just, at the same time yeah. as abstract expressionism. Right, and healthier than other things. The atelier system was like. Everybody was like, you're dead. Right. And, you know, was, enrollment was low. Now enrollment is high. I meet more and more atelier people. Yeah. But having pluralism and it's complex to have that while still having a value assessment system that acknowledges a pluralist view and you need something like a, vo a value quality assessment to be able to maintain a progressive trajectory. Because if you don't, you know, if you have no way and then you're just all accepting to rampant pluralism mm -hmm. and you have no way to assess Quality whether you're control. headed a good direction or a bad direction, you could head any direction. Like so, a banana taped on the wall? Yeah, or, or more dangerously, you could head towards futurism and uh, you know, like totalitarianism. You know, you, you, you could accidentally tend that way. You know, you could, you could if without a way to assess what way, what way things are going, your mind would hope, well, it'll just continue being good mm -hmm. in different ways. But that isn't always what's happened. You know, there have been, you know, I think that's sort of the existential looming dread that could exist, you know, like a but dark cloud. But that would require a mainstream. And while I think there has always been and probably always will be some vein of mainstream, uh, you know, the blue chip galleries, whatever they deem worthy. Whatever they deem contemporary. Right. Um, it's funny that but the galleries I feel are like, contemporary now. Yeah, but they can be easily There's, disrupted if they don't have a clear ideological direction, like what happened with uh, not too long ago with uh, zombie formalism. That was like a pebble thrown into a, just a mishmash that wasn't very 
focused on an ideological direction other than money, and then boom, one a, a solid direction gets introduced at that, and then boom, it blows up into a terrible phenomenon and you know runs rampant for two years and crashes the market. You know, and so is dismay. Yeah. No, I was saying that um, while there always is the mainstream, there's always the, like my work has always been out of the mainstream and always politically based. Mm -hmm. And artists find their niche and their voice. And, you know, while my work may have social value, that its value is more social than commercial and always has been, and that's something I signed on to and, and embrace. Hmm. But that, I guess that's what I would like hope for in a dream situation would be, I'm assuming your work is humanist, yeah. you know, and that sort of thing, like establishing that sort of thing as a baseline, good and core and universally agreed upon amongst, you know, a group of people and stated strongly, like that could tilt everything into a, you know, a similar direction that creates, that creates more togetherness. You know, if you, at this point in time, it, it's like, I don't, I see some people not solidly making any philosophical statement right. to the level of even something that seems assumed like being humanist and that sort of thing I feel like is essential like and you know even essential to bringing groups together yeah you know if you can all agree on on that like universal humanist principles then boom you have you know something yeah. to to weave together yeah you have at least a um a social value that kind of isn't some insurance that you're not just making to make right which but I think the the rush to money has been extreme in the past decade or so. Yeah. You know, there was the hope that the financial crisis was going to levelize things and humanize the institutions, and instead the backlash is that the, the wealth disparity is, is so much more extreme yeah, it grew way than more. ever that... Um, you know, it's, it's difficult as an artist to, A, you gotta, you gotta make a living, and how do you balance that with your voice, your, your expression, your place in the world? Yeah. Um, rather than, and I think a lot of people have decided, or I don't even know if it's conscious, they just, this is how they're going to, this is their career, not necessarily their passion, and they find out how to make money at it. They've, that's what we were, Rashad, was I talking about this with you, where they figure out how to play the game? Yeah. Um, and that's basically it. It's like, as an artist, you can think about it as a career. You can learn how to play the game and you can be good at the game. Or you can play your own game. Right. And there was someone in the building doing a documentary interviewing and comparing artists who have a sole studio practice mm -hmm. versus artists who have 
a lot of assistants who are basically making their work. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. And that's something that's almost like taboo to even touch on as right, a subject exactly. too. Exactly, <laughs> you can't say anything within these No, you can't, no, no one said anything, like, yep. Might have to clip that part out, but that was, <laughs> that was very uh, diplomatically stated. Yeah, sure, especially all of us who, I mean, I think we're all in this shared dialogue in a weird way. We all do push the same humanistic art from the heart. <laughs> kind of mentality and I think it, we making space for people that still make because they don't believe that everything is explored already they don't like I'm not gonna sign on to something saying that everything has already been made um, I do believe that we can expand ourselves we can expand our communities we can find the folds in space and time and iron them out and see where, how much expansion there is. And I think for a lot of poets that I talk to, and I don't know if we've ever had this conversation, but believe that crafting your life is art. Mm. Um, and I was wondering if that is maybe the new movement is not making art as a career, but making art as your life. So yes, we all have to make a living, but we're approaching 2020 where you can literally smoke weed on Instagram and make a living. Yeah. So that ha having, or open packaging, yeah, <laughs> having that flexibility in making money in more creative ways than ever has made it so an entire lifestyle can be art. Well, that's, that's one of the things I worry about and I've been thinking about a lot from some of the people I follow and I'm, I'm less concerned with its core ideological arguments mm -hmm. and more the repercussions of that. Right. Because what's already happening is quite a large group of people across different platforms, mediums, or whatever have signed on to that ideology, maybe not concisely, but that has the potential of doing what I think is already perceivable, which is devaluing artists' inputs on certain things um. as far as the creation of certain things. So you have things like architecture. 300 years ago, not even that, that much actually, whenever DC was built, uh, like when those, when those buildings went up, there was still quite a number of architects who thought about designing buildings with framed elements to incorporate sculpture. And they hired sculptors who saw their duty all together as a group, well-defined as representing the moral and uh, historical standpoint of you know, the state, whatever, which is you know, also in the case of the United States, very tied to an ideology to do that. And architects worked with them and they did that. And it was a very common thing. Now, if you were going to build a building and you wanted something architecturally done, if you're going to interact with a sculptor who's of that ideology or an artist of that ideology, they're not going to help you in that situation. And instead, you're better off to do what they are already doing, which is outsource it to someone with no art background or a very loose art background who's going to, you know, make a fasted thing or whatever that's sort of formalist, interesting to make it look 
sort of interesting for postcards and when you walk in the lobby and that's it. Hmm. And the sculpture will be gone and the sculptors will be, I don't know, they'll be transcendentalists living in the woods, which I'm not, <laughs> which I'm not against. I'm for, I'm for living in the woods and going fishing a lot. But, <laughs> but, uh, but that's what I worry could be the end of that. You think? Although I know a bunch of sculptors who are getting not only commissions, but public art right. grants and, and projects. They're pretty stifling from what I've seen though. Because my, my uncle has dealt in outdoor sculpture and uh, that was my first window into the fine arts, outdoor sculpture, public sculptor, uh, sculptures. And his work has been difficult for any number of reasons because it is political uh, for it to inhabit that space. The work that I make would be virtually impossible to inhabit that space. And it's, it doesn't, that system doesn't exist in the same way that the sculpture I was describing before right. existed, right? So well, like even the- unions. So, well, think about the Statue of Liberty. Could you get, you know, it agreed upon even if you imagine it being smaller and less expensive. Right, no, oh, and it with would no never shipping happen. Costs. It yeah, would never it happen, happen It'd be more likely that they would select a large, unoffensive blob that could be constructed relatively cheaply. Right. You know, and then it'd be a blob. And what does that represent ideologically? Does it say anything? It doesn't say, doesn't say much, and... So do you think painters have it easier? Logistically, that's part of the reason why I became a painter. <laughs> you roll it up. Yeah, I'm trying to think of up and coming large scale sculptors. Right. And it's just. It's a tough game. It's, it's also tough. space yeah. has become almost non existent because yeah. Brooklyn is occupied, Jersey City is almost unaffordable. Right. So, and if you want to be relevant in a relevant space, there is no space anymore. Right. Because if you are also an Instagram artist or living on the internet, you have to be succinct with your ideology. And if there's no physical space, then there's ideological space. Well, that's where- That's where you that's come That's where in. Rashad lives. And it's like, come on, man, what do, what do, you, what do you think? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you think it's even important to have things like large chunks of copper sitting out on islands that like represent an idea to look at? Um. Are they, are they destruct, or could they be destructive to that? Or are they helpful, or are they? Well, I mean, personally, I think like all art, specifically uh, sculpting in this moment we're talking oh, about. Don't, don't, don't patronize sculpting. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Where is this going? I'm saying um, it's all like indicative of culture. Uh, it feel like uh, when you do walk by something on the street, uh, that's affirming that culture of that city or that space. And um, now there's a culture online where you can access that uh, by pulling out your phone, by opening it up. Do I think that culture is, uh, one is more important or more impactful than the other? No. Uh, do I believe that they both deserve space? Yes. Um, is, are they just as skillful as one another? No. Do they need to be? No. Influence is influence. Mm -hmm. I can get wherever I want. Yeah, that's it. And you don't have to ship it. And it's not heavy. 
It's true. Words. Your words, you do not have right. to ship. Now, but now your book, you do. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I didn't see the end of the now photo shoot. how do poets interact on Instagram because for visual artists it is huge it is the medium uh-huh um there's poets of uh poets online is like a growing thing um recently I was in a, a competition with uh, poets from across the country. And like, I was coaching a team of people I've never met, never seen, uh, editing their work online. Uh, they'd submit it every week. And there were judges that we never met, never saw, that would judge our work, tell us who uh, would proceed on to the next round. We were giving writing prompts, things of the such. So the writing community online is stronger than some of the writing communities I've experienced in real life. I, I mean, I guess it's the same. There's certain people who have harnessed Instagram visual artists mm -hmm. and made huge careers. And people like that, um, you know, people, writers that do make that buzz, that find that space. Do I find their work good or uh, engaging? No. Uh, <laughs> does it have an audience? Does it reach people? Does it uh, introduce people to an art form they wouldn't normally have access to or uh, delve into? It does that. It serves that function, which I think is like more than enough uh, reason for me to say, to give that person that push to say, I'm okay with this being a part of my poetry community. It's yeah. different. It's changing. It's, just, it's mm. changing, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just hard to grasp. It's very in flux right now. Yeah. Amorphous. It just, yeah, it's in flux because it's hard to tell. It's hard to do a job when you don't know your role. Is it hard? Right. So that's, yeah, that's my core thing is like, yeah, I'd rather uh, to a certain extent have a little bit better defined job and do it. I think that's what I thought when I was younger, like reading books. It was like, oh, well, like Rodin was commissioned to make the gates of hell, and that was his job. He never finished it, but he worked on it for a long time, you know? Like, and then he, someone wanted a sculpture of the burgers for their town because they were important. So he worked on that to make it important, make, you know? And it was also for other people. Yeah. That's where I get bogged down is like that way of doing things that's sort of gone to the wayside makes it more difficult to figure out what what can I do for other people? What can I make there for other people? I don't make things for me. I like other people's art. Mm -hmm. You know, I like things that were made that I can enjoy without having to sand them for hours. Like I, I make things for people to enjoy. So it's like, it, it makes it frustrating to, you know, try to do that with such an ambiguous moving target, you know? Or the lack of it becomes the responsibility of the artist. And I think that has been the artist's new role, is right. to be responsible for your own moral values, community values, cultural values, artistic values. You move with your own integrity. And I believe that integrity is one of the hardest things to quantify or quality control. It's very hard to know how well somebody is sticking to their own merits and it's very, it's a large and it's not our job to be the moral compass of society no agreed 
But it is interesting when the new role, at least to me, is to be your own compass. Because no one's really, there is no club, there is no union, there's so many art schools, there's hardly any mentorships, there is no commissions, there's no roles. A lot of art is being made for self-expression, only for self-expression, which there's nothing wrong with that. But hopefully there's an inner, I feel like for me, it is, the, like people often say, oh, it must be so nice to be an artist and just go <laughs> and do what you want to do. And I'm like, no, it's more like <laughs> having a rash that itches and burns and, and the only time you're not tearing at your skin is when you're, you're follow, you're, it's like an insatiable beast that you have to keep appeasing. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. You know, that, that, that it's something you have to find that element that drives you beyond, you know, the self-doubt and the questions of theory and philosophy. It's just, this is what I have to do. Um, I was gonna say uh, something to uh, something you said earlier, uh, Sydney, uh, concerning mentorship. I think mentorship is still a thing. Mm -hmm. I'm just maybe aware that it probably looks differently nowadays. Um, well, you're a huge mentor for so many people, Rashad. Yeah. And that's a self-proclaimed yeah, role. Yeah, you're going doing that like every day. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, yeah, that's how, um, that's how I'm a mentor. Like I'll have uh, people come into my studio, write, workshop with them. Uh, Go where I have them perform their own pieces, uh, give them critique, edits, A, B, C, and D. That's just how I call myself. And I've never met tour. anyone our age that is so giving with their time and resources. And I don't think you're the norm. Sorry. Right. <laughs> exactly as you're saying. But um, that you exist is, you know, that you have this. And you were mentored. Yes. Ish. And no. Um, I believe. Mean? I mean, not well, or, <laughs> or just like part time. I was meant, like you were saying earlier, um, we have that uh, self made artist now because there's a lack of mentorship. So I ended up walking into a world where I got mentorship because I was self made and pushed myself into a different circles where people that would give me tutelage would do so, but that wasn't on the table for me, uh, walking into uh, poetry, walking into writing. Mm -hmm. um, and going way back to what I was saying, um, yeah, mentorship, for me, that's the first uh, form of mentorship I had was reading someone's work saying, this is what I really like, I'm going to try to emulate that. Um, that was my first form of mentorship, something I didn't, I, that's, that's most mentorship for our writers. Uh, we don't we don't know the people that influence us, uh, but you'll see them quoted thousands of times in our books and our writings. You'll see odes, homages, all of that. That's the basic form of mentorship I think every artist has access to and or does. Um, but having a formal mentor, 
Some people never reach that stage. I try not to judge that. Not everyone has access. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think mentorship is a thing for everyone. It just looks different. I agree with you. I went to school for art education. Mm -hmm. Mentor. Different. <laughs> okay. I would say you help craft my role as an art educator which is much less active than it has been, was just to give people the notion that they had a voice. It wasn't at all honing, crafting, perfecting. It was just the first steps of, you have something valuable to say, no matter if you're a self-proclaimed artist or not. So like in school, a lot of my, my university was, had a very large uh, art education program and it was, a lot of early art philosophy fights with them about things of like certain things they were learning and my questions about it, you know, I mean, like cordial fights, I guess. Mm -hmm. About <laughs> like, fist fights. about like, yeah, yeah, right. No broad swords involved. But, uh, but the, uh, the, it was just strange to me that their way of educating, they would, talk about certain things from history or other artists or whatever, but different from math and different from English or writing, they would then follow it up with what I couldn't ever understand, which was, now don't do that. Instead of, you know. Repeat. Instead of, instead of encouraging, yeah, encouraging a little bit more of like, well, you know, this is, this is whatever person's work and instead of maybe doing one assignment that is do something based off of it, but do your own thing, it's a genuine study, an inspection of it to learn from it. Uh, I don't know, I just feel like if writers, like I've written a lot personally about it, like if, if art was taught a little bit more like how writing is taught, mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah. Invest how to build something. Yeah, investigate. <laughs> instead of deductive. Yeah, <laughs> investigate these people, spend the time building a foundation I, I feel like a lot of my painting friends that from school who ended up never painting again after school or, or very little fizzled out partially because they were stuck in this circle of like, well, I need to invent my own language mm. rather than learning how to write letters, form words, form sentences, look at other people's poetry, write better poems. That's really And then form their own thing. Because this whole conversation is based on what is the shared vocabulary and are we ever taught the vocabulary to build a sentence? Are we ever, are we ever taught how to, how do we, what am I supposed to be on a train and just have a magic wand that says, you're an artist, I can talk to you, or you're an artist <laughs> and I can talk to you. Um, identifying each other has become harder and harder. And I think it's because there is such a lack of continuity between our language, and maybe it is this notion of these are all the things that you cannot do and you have to deduce your own language from this, and then when you have such a reduced, fearful language that you're afraid to use and speak, then how do you end up ever talking to anyone? How do you end up ever building culture? Right. Well, it goes back to the fully formed things, like you might make mistakes, you might make missteps, yeah. or, you know, or getting, getting uh, you know, maybe empty beer can tossing fights with art <laughs> educators, you know, just mm -hmm. about 
well, this is my idea, it's different than yours, you know, a little bit of a clash, and even maybe seeming a little bit foolish. Like, yeah. I've looked foolish quite a bit, you know, saying what I felt at the time, and then later finally coming around to being like, well, you know, that was incorrect, and but now I have a well-rounded idea of it. Right. Yeah. But also it takes time. Um, a teacher of mine in high school, I did some drawing, and... and thought it was so great and turned it in and he goes you know it's fine <laughs> but it's do it a hundred times yeah. do a hundred variations and then maybe you have something to say hmm. like you know it's until you put in the hours and the the thought and the redoing and the you know exploring it in depth there's a new it's, art education philosophy. It's probably not that new. It's probably about 10 years old. It's called Teaching for Artistic Behavior. And it's trying to replace um, discipline-based art lessons. So not all making Matisse's, but having a unit called, let's say, sustainability, where you may, every child in the class would make their own project based on sustainability. And they would interpret sustainability in their own right, and then they would make what they need to make in a sustainable fashion, whether that's collecting trash for a week and making a trash sculpture. And then you would write an artist statement and you'd get up in front of the room and talk about why you made this sustainable okay. where. But so, really, until you make a hundred of those... Are you ever building do, an actual sculpture? <laughs> well, yeah, does it take on meaning? Until yeah. you do something and invest in it and mm -hmm. really you know, put in the time. I, that's why I'm always kind of dismayed by the grad students getting plucked right up. It's like they haven't... Developed. Right. That the, there's not the experience, there's not the grueling, you know, trial and error and, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess things seem a bit more shallow in that regard. Well, if you're teaching artistic behavior, not teaching artistic skill right. or technique. Well, it also, it's a very shallow pool if before filling it up with water you're only drawing from the well that is you mm -hmm. before putting anything into it. So maybe the conversation is shifting since we have so much resource and things are going so fast and they're way faster than ever before. Maybe our conversation is having self-restraint of time, of not indulging our time, of not having the artist be responsible for their careers of development and giving you know, themselves the honor to develop and not sell out, um, which is always, will always happen because people aren't interested in art for art's sake, but that doesn't concern the community of artists. A community of artists maybe just, since space is quite full, maybe we switch to time. We switch to slowing down our time. I think that's it. I, that's like, I want to write that yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. That's like well, it's recorded. Hopefully, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully the recording's working. Anyone else have anything to say? I mean, you just dropped a line that's going to be your like intro that's sound it. bite for for the rest of the the, the you know life of your show. So. <laughs> Rashad. Uh, 
good. You're good? All right, well, this is Tip and Tell. I'm Sid Williams, ENX Scene on the Audio. We have Rashad Wright, Luke Ivy Price, and Lauren Bergman here for our first group conversation here at Monica.